This is Acast Recommends. Every week, we pick one of our favourite shows. And this is one we think you're going to love. Hello, I'm Jeff Lloyd, and I recently had a baby with Ed Miliband. A baby podcast, that is. It's a spin-off of our show, Reasons to be Cheerful. It's called Cheerful Book Club, and it's conversations with some of the best writers working in the world today. You'll really enjoy our chats with people like US broadcasting legend Rachel Maddow, literary giant Ian McEwan, and the big, short and moneyball author Michael Lewis. Feed your brain with ideas from the Cheerful Book Club. You'll find us on the excellent Acast app or wherever else you get your podcasts. Acast is home to the biggest podcasts from Ireland and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello everybody and welcome to the Mirror Football Podcast. It's been an eventful week for Arsenal after they lost the Carabao Cup final and pressure has ramped up on manager Arsene Wenger and his future. Uh, We're going to be assessing Arsenal, we're also going to be looking ahead to the whole Premier League weekend which includes Manchester City versus Chelsea, a very intriguing fixture there. Uh, I'm Aaron Flanagan in the hot seat once again and joining us this week is the Mirror Football Online Editor Matt Lawless, how are you doing Matt? Very well, thank you. Good stuff. And Liam Prendervilles with us. How are you doing? Yeah, good, thanks, mate. Good stuff. Um, we'll start with Arsenal. Uh, say a little bit later on, we will hear from John Cross. Uh, he'll give us kind of the lowdown on Arsene Wenger as it kind of as it currently stands. Um, is the fallout from the Carabao Cup final maybe a little extreme from what it is? Because at the end of the day, they've lost to a great side in in Manchester City, haven't they? I think. It doesn't surprise me, to be honest. I think if you're a supporter, you expect your team to turn up for a cup final, and Arsenal didn't do that, did they? I mean, I don't think Manchester City really had to get out of first gear for that game. Um, It was really comprehensive and straightforward for them. So I expect it. Arsenal fans, they've been unhappy for some time, haven't they? And, you know, Wenger was almost in last chance saloon this time last year, but signed a two-year contract extension, much to everybody's surprise. So... It's been on the cards, but it seems to me now that enough is enough, and fans want change. Yeah. Uh, is Arsene Wenger all to blame for this, or you know, does some of the you know the responsibility have to go to the players? I think that some of the players have to take responsibility. I know Gary Neville was very vocal in his assessment, wasn't he, after the game or during the game? Sorry, at the weekend, you know, spineless, and he was having a go at the players for walking. But you know, there's a good point made here that Wenger's brought these players in. You know, he knows what the players are like, he knows their character. The players he signed in the summer and in January, like some Mikasari and Aubameyang, they're good players, but have they got the character to turn that dressing room around? And we've seen it for some time now, they need some leaders in that dressing room and they haven't got him. It's simple as that. But the players that are in there at the moment aren't doing enough. Uh, were Gary Neville's comments maybe slightly too harsh on Arsenal or, or was it actually you know, just a real fair and honest reflection on uh, on on what what kind of Arsenal fans were seeing on the pitch? Yeah, absolutely, I- couldn't disagree with him to be honest it was what we were all thinking Um, and the players need to take accountability I mean Arsene Wenger has actually protected those players from a lot of um, stick and probably much to his own um, downfall but those players are the ones who are out there on the pitch it's down to them do they want to win a game of football I mean as you mentioned earlier City amazing side but I really think that game was there for the taking and it just didn't compete on the day and it was spineless yeah. Um, obviously, the fans were streaming out of the stadium. I think there was barely half of the Arsenal fans left for the full-time whistle, which I, mean, I think says everything um, about Arsenal. Is it? Will we see more of the fans now 
demanding change? Uh, do you think even the Wenger in lot from last season will maybe be converted? I mean, it was inter- last the end of last season, wasn't there? All these banners and this sort of the decision was made, and everyone's accepted it for the time being. He is contracted until 2019, so I mean, if fans start protesting now, are they going to protest for another year? You know, it, it, it's all interesting, really. But again, we expect his position to be reviewed in the summer. So if fans start protesting now. No, the board might take note, but again, if it goes into next season, how long are they going to keep doing it for? Another 12 months? I think you're saving grace as the Europa League because they're still going to have a share of winning that. And, you know, I'd love to see them win it just because I feel that it's an ending and a farewell that Arsene Wenger needs. I mean, I'm, I'm old enough just about to remember Brian Clough's demise at Nottingham Forest, and it was so sad to see because Cloughy, you know, his, his history at Forest speaks for itself. And okay, it's not as dramatic as that decline because Arsenal are not in danger of being relegated, but there's certainly some similarities there. And and I'd hope that Wenger can eventually leave Arsenal with his head held high because he is one of the true greats to grace this game in England, certainly of the modern era. And at the moment, I don't feel that he's getting the respect that he quite deserves. And I think I think Wenger feels that as well. He's quite upset about it all, isn't he? It's yeah, really hit him. You can really tell he's really frustrated in in his interviews. Obviously, you mentioned the Europa League there. Um, it's probably Arsenal's only way of getting into the Champions League next season. But are they actually playing well enough to to kind of try and win the... Well, to be at a level to win the Europa League? It's not just about whether they're playing well enough. It's about a question of desire, which we didn't see in the Carabao Cup final. And it's whether those players do want to win it. And we saw that with Manchester United last season. We knew that their season was going to come down to that. And, you know, it it has saved Jose Mourinho. It's won him a contract extension. It's got them back in the Champions League. It's got them at the top table of European football again. This is their chance to really get back into the Champions League because as we don't quite see it happening it's not going to come through the Premier League You speak of desire there as well last week they played Ostersons didn't they on Thursday night and got beat he got turned over by Minnows in the competition I know a lot of changes were made but Arsenal still had a strong team out they should have whipped the floor with them and then going to the next yeah, round, and even Jack Wilshere was saying after the game, you know, we we, we underestimate them. Exactly. You can't afford to do that in football. Yeah, no, you saw the results that Ostersund's got as well against the likes of Hertha Berlin, Athletic Bilbao in the group stages, and uh, they didn't take him too seriously. Um, I spoke a little earlier today to John Cross, who the Daily Mirror's chief football writer, to basically give us a an o- full overview on the situation for Wenger and some of the challenges uh, that he's facing from now until the end of the season. And uh, we kind of talk about what he has to do to save his job. Uh, so here's what John had to say. John Cross, really appreciate you joining us on the Mirror Football Podcast once again. Um, it's uh, it's never quiet with Arsenal. There always seems to be something in the news. And this week, uh, obviously on the back of the Carabao Cup final, uh, Arsene Wenger is under pressure. Um, John, um, just how much pressure is Wenger under right now? Well, unprecedented amount, really, <laughs> which I, I know is easy to say because it, it probably feels like the last couple of contracts, as he's run towards the end of those contracts, it feels like um, his job was very much in the spotlight then. But I do feel it's different this time. I think that the, 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 the great likelihood is that he will go in the summer. Um, and I think the pressure that he's under now is basically whether he can achieve the miracle that perhaps that he needs to to earn himself the sort of the stay of execu- execution, if you like, to at least see out the final year of his of his two year contract. I think what it would take 
for him to do that is to get into either the top four or win the Europa League. Um, and therefore, I think that that's where the pressure um, starts and ends, really. I think he's under incredible pressure to have a better finish to the season um, in the Premier League and then also to, to win European success, which would obviously provide a passport back into the Champions League. So I don't think his departure is absolutely set in stone. I do think if you've watched Arsenal recently, I think you'd know that they would be huge underdogs and big outsiders to, to win the Europa League. And that's where I think the problem is, really. I just don't think Arsenal playing particularly well. The players, you can see it in their belief on the pitch. They just don't have any right now. And I think that's that's the sort of pressure. And, and clearly, he's getting to Wenger. He's obviously getting a bit snappy, understandably stressed about it. He doesn't want to go, and he certainly won't be quitting. So, uh, so I do think the pressure in the walls seem to be closing in on him right now. Yeah, I mean, it's all kind of come on the back of the Carabao Cup defeat. And um, obviously, is it, surely there's not that much shame in losing to obviously a Manchester City side who are one of the best teams in Europe this season. Um, has it been more of an underlying thing that this pressure has been actually there for longer and the Carabao Cup has just forced, you know, forced people you know, to maybe... Want to act on uh, on Wenger and the managerial situation? Yeah, I think it's put it in the spotlight because I think the reality is that basically, if Arsenal had gone out on penalties um, earlier in the competition, or indeed even lost to Norwich, you know, to salvage that one um, from, from the jaws of defeat, then then frankly they wouldn't have had the volume of criticism um, that they had after after losing uh, after losing the final. So from that point of view, I can understand Wenger's frustration. Having said that, I mean, they're obviously due to play Man City that weekend anyway. And I do think that basically if they've lost heavily or been sort of really outfought and out, outplayed badly again, then I do think the spotlight would have, would have been equally trained on him and his future um, anyway. So I do think it's a fact of life and something that's sort of he's had to, had to live with. I mean, I do think that the, the writing about it last summer, I know that the club were acutely concerned that basically they believed in the manager and Stan Kroenke obviously as a majority shareholder has the casting vote um, was passionate about Wenger and remains so huge fan of Arsene Wenger and for everything that he's done about the club I know that the, the biggest concern about the club was that basically there was so much negativity around last season and Wenger and Wenger's future that basically they were worried about you know that happening again quickly it was their worst nightmare that Arsenal should should start the season badly and let's be honest they did um, and, and then sort of the old question marks and sort of doubts would resurface just as they have again in a few weeks I, I just felt that illustrates why it was time to change last summer and I mean we could have even gone in 2014 and and I think that the, the problem is that, that they were just delaying the inevitable I think for, for the sort of emotional and emotive feeling that Wenger could could kind of get it back together again and would, would make Arsenal contenders again. And I just think this season has shown us that the Premier League is tougher than ever and I think to do that I do think you need a change at the helm. Definitely. Um, th- there was a line in uh, one of the pieces obviously about the Wenger being under pressure that uh, the players are even starting to, to realise that. I mean, th- is there any indication that the players are going directly to the board and saying something's not right or is it just kind of rumblings uh, in, in the camp? Yeah, I think it's more rumblings in the camp. Um, I mean, it, I, I was talking to someone about this yesterday, and I, 
sometimes, it, you know, it's interesting these sort of player things sort of do drip out and you do hear with whispers or you sort of kind of, you know, through contacts or, you know, when, when sort of players talk and sort of word and gossip gets around. Um, I, I sometimes feel in these situations, even though I'm part of that and write that, that surely Blarney, that doesn't the player need to take responsibility themselves as well? I guess it's about belief and confidence on the pitch at the moment, and, and I'm not sure that they have that belief like they used to. And I think I think that's the problem. I don't think that, that you know, as far as I know, um, players would go directly to the board. I think that would be incredibly disrespectful. I mean, we're aware of it. it's happened to other clubs. To the best of my knowledge, I don't really think. I think sometimes I think, you know, cute board members or executives in power or people who sort of, you know, watching things from from a close angle can see that something's not right and can tune into players' views, shall we say? Um, and so I do think that that would be, you know, something that, that sort of obviously that the, the sort of the board and sort of executives would pick up on. But I don't know that anyone's sort of gone running to, to the board to tell them. Sort of things that they probably can't see for themselves, which I think is basically obvious that the sort of the players think that it is indeed time for change. Yeah, saying so, obviously if change was to come in, uh, a short list uh, we, we believe obviously has been been drawn up. Uh, Leonardo Jardine, um, one of the names on there, as is um, Brendan Rodgers, Mikel Arteta. Um, who for yourself, Crossy, would be the the man to take Arsenal forward? Well, I, I think Jardine would, would be would be a good choice. I do think that I think he sort of plays good football nurtures young players has done well at Monaco despite obviously PSG having greater wealth so all those kind of things tick the box for Arsenal and they're sort of playing in the Premier League right now I think also I mean I know Brendan Rodgers gets you know sometimes gets a bit of a bad rep or, or whatever but I do actually think he'd do a very very good job um, I just think that sometimes people can't you know sort of see um, sort of the wood for the trees in that basically did fundamentally I think do a good job at, at Liverpool and if he was at you know, an Italian club for example and had taken I don't know just plucking the name out of the air sort of kind of Napoli um, to, to within an inch of, of winning the title against bigger opponents more successful opponents then he'd be lauded as one of Europe's great young um, coaches and indeed you know they've got something like that going on at the moment well they're not champions yet and, and yet he's been sort of touted as a possible successor so what's the difference I think there's a certain amount of snobbery about it and I think he'd be actually a good choice I think the other one on the shortlist is Mikel Arteta who I think obviously left the club um, to go and sort of follow sort of Pep Guardiola gain that experience um, and I think he's definitely in the running as well. I think the difference for, for Arteta and for someone like Thierry Henry is that basically um, Arteta went and joined Man City to gain that experience there. And people sort of say, well, if Henry had stayed with the sort of youth coaching at, at Arsenal, then he'd be in with a shout. I actually think the opposite is true in that basically sometimes you don't get promoted from within. And I think that that's a bit of a shame. And I think Henry has obviously gone and been sort of kind of number three, isn't he, really, to, to Roberto Martinez behind Graham Jones as well um, at Belgium, and that's great experience. But I do think that at this moment in time, it's interesting that we're talking more about sort of Arteta as a contender than Henri. You know, arguably Arsenal's greatest ever player and would be a sort of a vote winner for many fans, but I don't think he'd be at the top of the shortlist for, for one reason or another um, at, the, at this moment in time. John, really, really appreciate you coming on the Mirror Football Podcast once again. Thank you very much. Pleasure.
John Cross there joining us on the Mirror Football Podcast. Really nice to have him on, as always. Um, interesting what he says about the potential bosses there for Arsenal, obviously. Uh, Monaco boss, Leonardo Jardim in there. Uh, Mikel Arteta, who's currently at Manchester City. Um, Brendan Rodgers in there. Cross, he spoke pretty passionately uh, about Rodgers actually being a decent choice. Um, Liam, do, do, would you see Brendan as a, a decent fit for Arsenal? I think he did a very good job at Liverpool. I think at the end of his tenure, it was sort of overlooked how well he did. I know they came close to the title than they have done in in however long. Um, I think he will end up leaving Celtic eventually and in the next couple of years because there's only so many times you can win that league. Um, whether or not he's the right fit for Arsenal, I'm not too sure, but he's a sort. He's a good coach as well, and he would probably work well under this new structure that they've got in place, rather than bringing someone in from abroad. It didn't end well for him at Liverpool, and I think he'd bite at the opportunity to take a job like Arsenal. Yeah, Matty, I think. Yeah, I mean, in terms of why it didn't quite work out well at Liverpool, people sometimes overlook what Brendan Rodgers was dealing with. They'd lost a lot of key players. And you know the expectations to sort of stage another title um, challenge were just well they were above and beyond ridiculous really considering the players that they did lose. My question is this: Would Arsenal fans accept Brendan Rodgers because of that? Has he got a reputation on the back of that dismissal at Liverpool? I believe he does, and I think that is unfair because as Crossy rightly mentions, he's a superb coach and his record at Celtic has been uh, excellent. You expect that in Scotland. But um, I'm just not sure whether Arsenal fans would take to that and whether it would be an appointment that would be progressive enough and something that almost could it be similar to David Moyes when he replaced uh, Sir Alex Ferguson at Old Trafford and it just doesn't work and you've got more problems and it's the building process is, a, is an ongoing one and it continues and continues. Yeah. Um, can maybe Arsenal aim slightly higher than the list of candidates that kind of have been mooted about at the moment? Because obviously... Jardim, yeah, he's done a wonderful job at Monaco, you know, on very limited resources in a league where his players are literally being plucked yeah. uh, left, right and centre. Um, but then obviously Arteta not not managed at a senior level, uh, he's been Guardiola's assistant. Um, and then um, obviously Brendan Rodgers is maybe not going to, you know, make the fans as happy. Um, can Arsenal aim higher or is it just that, that kind of a, an indictment on the level they're at now? I think they can aim higher. You know, there are good managers out there at the moment. You know, Luis Enrique, he's been linked with Chelsea. Uh, why can't Arsenal go for him? There's uh, Carlo Ancelotti's out there as well. You know, there are top top managers out there that. What Arsenal are arguably one of the biggest teams in the country. They're a top two, top three team. I know at the moment they're not, but a lot of managers will be looking at that. They'll be looking at that opportunity and thinking it's a great chance to get Arsenal back to the top. Yeah, and also it's not just about what's on paper in terms of the first team, but you look at the whole setup at Arsenal in terms of the academy and everything's perfect and it'd be a great job to step into for somebody. You know, I always wonder whether somebody like Diego Simeone would be interested and you'd like to think that the lure of the Premier League and the fact that it's in London and Arsenal do have money to spend, that that would be enough to convince you know, a top draw manager to come and work there. Yeah. It's interesting in the January transfer window obviously they did spend money on Aubameyang and, and they were willing to like negotiate to get Mkhitaryan in and they are willing to actually spend a bit of money is that maybe Arsenal realising that they're far behind now they, they actually do have to, to start spending? Well, They can't not spend any money, we've seen it 
than the, in the last sort of 12 months that even the teams below them are spending ridiculous amounts Everton included they're one of the teams who've forked out over 200 million for example that's just to try and close the gap on the top six and they haven't done it so if Arsenal don't spend money then the top four the top five whatever it is at the moment is just going to get further and further away they have to do the same this weekend they take on Brighton uh, Brighton away um, on paper you'd probably say Arsenal should win it but um I don't know, will the feeling of kind of the last week and all the pressure kind of maybe get to them? Especially Brighton scored four last week as well. Brighton have been really good at home lately and I think Chris Hewton's probably one of the most uh, underestimated managers in the Premier League. I mean, he's done a superb job there and for me, they'll be safe. They're, they've looked good at home. They, they've had a couple of big beatings at home as well. We should, we should add that in, particularly from... Uh, the top teams, Manchester City and Liverpool, both going there and, and being successful. Um, but they're on a good run at the minute, Brighton. And I think players like uh, Glenn Murray will cause problems. We see that Mustafi particularly couldn't handle you know, a nudge from Sergio Aguero. So what's he going to be like when you've got a battering ram against him? And Glenn Murray in great form as well. So um, Arsenal have struggled a bit on the road, haven't they? Uh, particularly in the south coast I mean the last outing against Bournemouth didn't particularly go well they struggled at Southampton This is Acast Recommends Every week we pick one of our favourite shows and this is one we think you're going to love Hello I'm Jeff Lloyd and I recently had a baby with Ed Miliband a baby podcast that is it's a spin-off of our show, Reasons to be Cheerful. It's called Cheerful Book Club, and it's conversations with some of the best writers working in the world today. You'll really enjoy our chats with people like US broadcasting legend Rachel Maddow, literary giant Ian McEwan, and the big short and moneyball author Michael Lewis. Feed your brain with ideas from the Cheerful Book Club. You'll find us on the excellent Acast app or wherever else you get your podcasts. Acast is home to the biggest podcasts from Ireland and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. I wouldn't be surprised if this one... uh goes in favour of the home side. Yeah. Let's, go on, let's, let's have a prediction then. Are you, are you going to back Brighton for a victory? Yeah, I'm going to go for a Brighton uh, 2-0. I think it'll be a draw. I think Arsenal will just about get a draw in this one, yeah. Oh, OK, well, we're all split because I think Arsenal are going to go there and win. So uh, <laughs> so absolutely no help. I'm always wrong with predictions anyway, mate. So, <laughs> yeah, but I just feel like Brighton, they've been playing really well. And Arsenal at the moment, yeah, sixes and sevens, aren't they? Yeah, um, there is another huge Premier League match taking place this weekend. Um, that's between Manchester City and Chelsea. Um, we'll start briefly on City. Um, I think they proved against Arsenal that the the game against Wigan was was just a blip. It was a blip, and you know anything can happen in the FA Cup, can't it? We've seen that over the years. They still want to win three trophies now. That will be the aim, and Guardiola will want the treble. He's got one in. The Premier League's on its way. And the Champions League is going to be their main target now, isn't it? But again, this weekend, focus back to Premier League matters, and another win is another step towards the title. Yeah, is it almost like the the pressure's off City now? Now they're out of the FA Cup, and they they can't get this all elusive quadruple that you know everyone was was raving on about. Does it? Is it a bit of pressure off, which actually will benefit City now? Perhaps. I think they've got a taste for winning silverware there, haven't they? And that first competition, the Carabao Cup, is always important to get that one. Once you've got that feeling as a player of winning, what it's like to lift a trophy, you want that second trophy, you want the third trophy. So I think that's the important factor in that. And um, this is a huge game. And, and once they win this, I think they will, then almost it's a procession towards, yeah. towards the actual title, isn't it? And yeah. the job done. 
Yeah, uh, from Chelsea's point of view, uh, obviously still a lot of pressure on Antonio Conte. They took the lead last week at Manchester United. They look great. First 20, 25 minutes, I thought Chelsea looked absolutely fantastic. Willian is in almost the form of his life. Yeah, he's been brilliant. Um, but he's playing in a team that can't quite find consistency in the results. Um, it's got to be a little worrying for Chelsea. Yeah, a little bit. And I think there's still a bit of inconsistency with the selection as well. We've sort of seen Hazard play and up top on his own when you've got Giroud... Uh, on the bench I'm not sure why he's not starting still uh, Morata still not clinical enough is he mm. I mean he had that chance where he hit the crossbar he did have a disallowed goal um, yeah I think with Chelsea the key thing for them now is to finish in the top four but also whether they can nick a result in Barcelona I don't think they'll win this on Saturday uh, Sunday sorry yeah. I think uh, there's too many problems at the back as well you know he's changed a bit too much and He's got he's kept the back three, but Aspilicueta is the only one who was there last season. Obviously, Christensen and Rudiger have come in, and it might be time for Gary Cahill to come in. Just to yeah, I agree with you because like, Aspilicueta has been captain, yeah. and I don't quite see how that works out. No, to be honest, I mean, he's no John Terry, is he? No, that's right. And Gary Cahill, I think to his credit, has stepped in quite well mm. in that role, and he's he's not really had a look in, has he, in the last uh, few games? Yeah, are Chelsea the team that are probably more in danger than anyone else to drop out of the top four now because obviously Tottenham are on, yes. this, are on a great yeah, run of so. form. Um, it can it can change around pretty quickly. They need to get a result, don't they? They need a point at least to keep them in the hunt. But you know, Liverpool for me look like they're, they're almost assured of a top four place. Tottenham are coming into nice form, aren't they? Um, and Manchester United picked up a win against Chelsea. Yeah, so Losing that last weekend, I yeah. think it's a, a very big blow for Chelsea, I think. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, what happens to Chelsea then if they don't make the top four? Um, would they, obviously, it would, they finish it, fifth. Well, yeah, <laughs> but it, it would obviously mean Antonio Conte would almost definitely leave. Yeah, I, 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 so, I don't yeah. see how the ruthless Chelsea hierarchy would uh, would keep. Just wouldn't stand for it, would they? And I think we all know it's coming because Conte has not been happy, has he, with with the business that they've done? They haven't quite reached out for the targets he's wanted. So it's just a question of who comes in, really. Prenders obviously mentioned Luis Enrique earlier. Um, uh, yeah, uh, I just think it's, it's a question of uh, not if, it's, it's more when, isn't it? But obviously if they miss out on the top four, will it also mean players leaving? The likes of Eden Hazard, obviously, in demand. Real Madrid have been linked. Uh, you, you wouldn't be surprised if Manchester City came out of nowhere. And Especially if he, has, a, he has a good World Cup, you know, lack of Champions League football. Yeah, you could definitely see that happening. Yeah, it could be a, a disaster for Chelsea. Uh, let's get your predictions then. Manchester City against Chelsea uh, takes place on Sunday. Uh, Matty? 3-0. Man no. City. Quite a convincing one. 3-1 City. 3-1. Um, City, but slightly narrower. 2-0. Okay. So we're uh, pretty, uh, pretty comprehensive on, on that one. Uh, we mentioned Manchester United in there and obviously their the comeback win against Chelsea last week. Uh, they play Monday night this um, this coming weekend. Um, they travel to Crystal Palace. Um, United, United looked a lot better in the second half of that game against Chelsea, didn't they? I mean, they looked a lot more sturdy. They didn't really look like they were going to concede. Um, it's pretty much exactly what Mourinho would want from his side, isn't it? Yeah, well, and it was a typical Mourinho performance. Second half, first half, they were a bit all over the place, weren't they? I'm not too sure what was going on, whether they tried a bit of a new system, didn't they, with the three across the middle, and it, they didn't seem to know what was going on, but then it changed in the second half, it was much better. And again, yeah, that's what he'll want, won't it? And he'll be going there this weekend, and it, this is a game that they have to win, it's as simple as that. They yeah. managed to get a great performance out of Romelu Lukaku as well, didn't they? Yeah. He, he was fantastic. Um, 
the question mark now is over Alexis Sanchez. Um, and of course, the last time he played at Selhurst Park was for Arsenal, mm. and he had a stormer, didn't he? Yeah. So perhaps this could be happy hunting ground for him. Yeah, so uh, United do need big performances from players. Uh, Paul Pogba's name keeps getting mentioned over and over again, uh, but it was a little bit better from him last week. I know he was uh, criticised for kind of a, the header he kind of didn't jump for that led to Chelsea's goal, but uh, all in all, uh, a better performance from Pogba. It was better, and he was just playing on the left of the three like we as we believe he wants to play obviously it helps that he's got Matic and McTominay in there a bit more disciplined and he's given a bit more freedom uh, a bit further forward and it was a bit more like it from him but there's a lot more to come there's no doubt about that one player who doesn't quite get the credit I think he deserves is Jesse Lingard who's the man who came on and scored a fantastic header um He's so important for United at the moment. I don't think he really, truly... People don't really sort of sing his praises enough. He's scored a lot of big goals this season. Yeah, he's a big game player. Um, Very interesting brings me on to another point I wanted to mention on United, and that was a couple of years ago who their big game player was, and that was Marcus Rashford. Came into the squad, scored all these big goals. Uh, He's now not started a Premier League game for two months. Incredible. Um, It's, I mean, on a World Cup year where, obviously, as as Englishmen, I'm sure we're all thinking, you know, Rashford will... uh, you know, will give us something at the World Cup. Uh, it's a little worrying that he he can't work his way into the team, and it's also hard to see where he's going to fit in. And when does he come back into the team in terms of you know long term? Well, is it worth Rashford leaving Manchester United? I mean, so I can't see happening, but sooner or later he's got to make a decision because at the moment he's not getting in the side over Martial, he's not getting in the side over Sanchez, and he's not getting in the side over Lukaku. So where, where does he play his football? Yeah, do, do you think it would be beneficial for uh, for Rashford to leave, or 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 would would it actually be more valuable for him for him to try and prove his worth in, in such a great club? I think he's got to try and prove it now in the short term, and now between the now and the end of the season, he's got a, he won't have that many opportunities. But when they do come, he has to prove himself, and then at the start of next season, and maybe in twelve months' time, maybe next January, we're looking at it again, and things haven't changed. Long term, he has to move on. There's no doubt about it because he's one of the hottest talents we've got in the English football at the moment if he's not playing then there's big problems I wouldn't think he would do his career any harm if the situation stays as it is if he was to go out on loan because what we tend to forget about Rashford was everything happened so yeah. quickly didn't it whereas you look at Harry Kane and he had you know multiple loan spells before he truly broke in at the Tottenham um, first team so perhaps you know Rashford he should be patient I know that there is a lot of uh, question marks whether he should go obviously I've just raised one but um, perhaps going out on loan just playing regular football could could benefit him but I wouldn't like to see him leave Manchester United on a permanent basis uh, we know you're a West Ham fan would you you take Rashford at West Ham would he would no he wouldn't get in the team <laughs> over um, of, course, of course I would I'll, I'll go and pick him up if he's interested yeah. it's interesting there's, 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 I would say most Premier League teams would probably um, kind of snap your hand off to take yeah, it yeah without a doubt um, like I say you just need to play football really and I think any young player needs to do that you need to get a good run of games because they need to learn the game as well and make mistakes and, and they'll only improve by playing football yeah, absolutely so this weekend anyway for United or Monday night anyway uh, they played Crystal Palace uh, Palace do they pose a bit of a threat to United I think when they've got a fully fit squad they do but I don't think they will do this weekend um, they I mean against Spurs they just didn't really do anything did they and that, it's hard on Roy Hodgson because he's got a full 11 of players that aren't playing at the moment they're all crocked yeah. but 
I mean, I can't see them causing United any problems if they take the same approach they did to the Spurs game. Just whether United can handle the atmosphere there. Hopefully there won't be any Eric Cantona-esque uh, incidents. <laughs> it's always one one moment that springs to my mind whenever Palace play uh, Man United, particularly in an evening game, but uh, I, I can't see Palace getting anything from this. Yeah, no, and, no. and they've lost. They've got a few injury problems as well. They lost Tompkins. And it was a shame, really, because when Tompkins was on, he, quite, he handled Harry Kane really well mm. uh, last weekend. As soon as he came off... You know there were problems at the back. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, uh, I remember looking at Palace's team when it came out uh, last week for the Tottenham game, and I looked at the bench, and I think I only knew who two of them were. I mm. said, so "There's another five players who I literally never heard yeah, of." Zahar still out injured, isn't he? So yeah, and I say they haven't won a game uh, without Wilfred Zahar in their team for over two years. Wow. Uh, which they're, st- is they're still in danger of going down as well don't forget don't, they yeah. don't score many goals and that's the biggest problem and they don't create anything either especially last weekend so I think they're, I think they're still in trouble yeah no they said there's plenty of teams uh, in that mix uh, one team that is in there is Newcastle they travel to Liverpool uh, Liverpool last week um, sorry to remind you Matty of, uh, <laughs> of the kind of the demolition job that they did on West Ham they, they, they looked absolutely fantastic yeah I don't even think that it was West Ham played particularly badly um, I just think Liverpool are so good right now that any side would struggle to contain them and you know that front three is just you know no one can get near them can they Firmino Mane and Salah just superb yeah, uh, Rafa Benitez going back to uh, Anfield um, for this game but like with Benitez I mean that was criminal last week 2-0 lead oh, at Bournemouth how they've thrown that away that uh, they, that should not have happened. It should have been a bit of game management there, and that's a shame for Newcastle because they're coming off the back of that brilliant win over Man United, mm. and that would have really propelled them up the table. It's so tight they can't afford to be chucking games away. Then they would have been tenth or eleventh yeah. with the win, and then now they're sixteenth, are they? So I mean, that that could kill them. I think at the end yeah, of the season. Yeah, exactly. That's that's such a huge result for them. They they should have gone, come back with three points. They didn't, and this weekend going to be really tough and this is this is a fixture again looking back one of the great Premier League fixtures isn't it you know yeah, yeah, and obviously some, uh, kind of a, a, a nice fun rivalry in the, in the, in the mid 90s um, yeah. which is great obviously uh, led to uh, Kevin Keegan Kevin Keegan's moment <laughs> uh, which is uh, which is good um, little predictions for Liverpool Newcastle another cricket score I think hmm, another one 4-0 four, four Four nil. That's uh, actually four one. Sorry, because Liverpool a bit leaky at the back. Aren't yeah, they? I think Newcastle might get one, but I'm going to go five one. Liverpool five <laughs> one. Right, okay, I thought I was being conservative with with uh, with three one. <laughs> but okay, uh, other Premier League fixtures, which we'll just uh, fly through quickly before we finish. Uh, Burnley against Everton. Um, Everton were woeful against Watford last week, weren't they, Liam? They were, and I was stood in the away end, freezing cold, and it was dismal. And the away form has been dismal under Allardyce um, and I don't think they'll get anything at Burnley either it's a battle that one, two teams who are probably looking at it now thinking they can finish 7th But uh, Do you think he'll stay on at the end of the season? I don't think he will now I think he would have hoped to I think if the start had carried on he probably would have done at least for the start of the season but now I think if the owner is as ambitious as he makes out and the money that's there oh, is he going to give Sam Allardyce another 100 million to spend and he's seen the football that's being played. You know, the team that Everton have got should be comfortably seventh. They should be close to sixth. Mm. They're not not where they are now. Um, but no, the football is turgid at best. And I know a lot of people have seen it. You've seen it firsthand. Yeah. Allardyce. He's becoming a bit of an excuse generator as well, isn't he? He is, and it seems to be when Everton win. Oh, I did this, and I made this tactical tweak, and I play someone there or someone elsewhere. When they lose, it's all on the players. They didn't. I don't. I can't make them pass to each other, but. 
you can change the tactics, you know. And nil nil on Saturday, he was bringing Morgan Schneidlin on to to save a point at Watford. That you know they've got to go and try and win that game. I just yeah, it's it's all petering out, and I think in the summer another change will be made in the Everton dugout. Is it getting frustrating that there's been so many changes? I don't mind if they start winning games, you know. I think the the change was needed for Ronald Koeman to go. The change was needed for Allardyce to come in as well, I think, at, the, at that time. And he did turn it around. And he, Everton were in trouble, weren't they? Let's not forget a few months ago. They're not anymore, really. Um, but it was never a long-term option for me, and I think we'll find that out in the summer. What about Wayne Rooney? It's Too been, soon? Yeah, I think that's... Uh, I think that maybe in the future, you know, he's spoken about it, hasn't he? He spoke about it on, uh, on Football Focus last week, that his dream is to manage Everton. And I think in the long term, maybe that's one day we might see that, but... No, I think he's still got so, a bit too much. It's always a risk of pointing somebody who's unproven, especially when they're going to have the amount of money that Everton uh, yeah. are, are going to throw at it. Um, bit lower down the table, also in the, the kind of the relegation battle um, this weekend. A few interesting fixtures: Leicester against Bournemouth. Uh, obviously, Bournemouth are still right in the mix. Swansea against West Ham. Both teams probably desperate for wins. Swansea have tailed off ever so slightly after their initial uh, burst on but the But they've been formidable at home, haven't they? They've done yeah. really well at home. They had a good FA Cup win midweek. Andre Ayew playing West Ham. He'll be very highly motivated if he starts because his brother Jordan's been getting a nod over him. But I think he's one of those players that um, was quite overlooked at West Ham and he's got goals in him. So I do fear that game. I, to be honest... I think West Ham probably needs to change it up at the back and you know I'm not looking forward to it I think Swansea will win uh, Swansea you, you fancy Swansea I think so I think they will I think um, they're like Matty says they're very good at home at the moment Carvajal has sort of got the home form and we've seen in recent years that if you get your home form sorted it's sort of the platform to, to survive and I think they get another three points and they will be on their way to survival Yeah. Uh, elsewhere uh, Tottenham against Huddersfield we've not really talked about Tottenham much uh, on this podcast but uh, I mean, what else can you say about them? They did just keep pulling and pulling results out of the bag. Uh, Huddersfield, if it was maybe at Huddersfield, you say yeah. maybe it would be tougher, mm. but uh, you'd you'd expect Huddersfield. Well, the thing, the thing with Spurs now, the whole issue was at the start of the season whether they could play well at Wembley, and they've proved that they can. And um, I think Tottenham, their big focus will really be on Wednesday night where they play Juventus in the Champions League. So I would expect a few. Um, players to be rested. Mm, yeah. I, I think Lorente scoring a hat trick against Rochdale might actually win him a start. But this game is big for Spurs because, as we alluded to earlier about the top four, you know, it's still fairly tight between them and, and, and Chelsea. But for I think their focus will be on the Champions League slightly. Yeah, uh, Huddersfield, um, from their perspective, obviously they're right in the relegation mix, but they, they keep pulling little results out every now yeah, and again, and just keep yeah. every time you think they're going to be dragged properly. Like last weekend they, against West Brom, yeah, they, they get little boosters. They're, yeah, uh, it's very interesting. Difficult kind of to predict, aren't they, Huddersfield? But in a way, I'd like to see them stay up. They, they've they've had some really good wins, haven't they, this season? And I think they, of the newly promoted sides, only really sort of Brighton have. Uh, well, I guess Newcastle had that win over Man United, but Brighton, the only team to sort of consistently better them, I think. And they've given it a good go as well, haven't they? They've not yeah, just they come have. up to survive. They've they've tried to play good football, and that's probably part of the manager's makeup as well. So, you know, you know, I think this weekend it's a bit of a gimme, isn't it? You know, they're not expecting to get anything, but if they can, then it'll be a massive bonus. Absolutely. Uh, another game um, involving two teams right in the relegation mix. Uh, I'll, I'll be honest. Sorry if you're a Southampton or Stoke fan, but that sounds like the dullest fixture <laughs> ever. I mean, the football both ties have been playing this season has been pretty flat. I think with Stoke, the real question, you know, Mark, for me is, is Jack Butland. 
everyone goes on about how he's you know what England's best goalkeeper. He's not. He's, he wasn't last you know, weekend, last weekend it yeah. he, he was his howler that cost Stoke what would have been a really good win over Leicester. Superb goal from Shakiri. He's about the only player who can really make things happen yeah. for Stoke. So Southampton, as bad as they have been this season, and that surprised me, really has. I think they'll win this one. And the last fixture uh, this coming weekend that we haven't touched on is Watford uh, against West Brom. Um, West Brom, I would say Watford, first of all, they're not really playing for anything anymore. They're, they're pretty much safe. Picked up you know, a few half-decent results. Uh, West Brom, um, they look dead and buried now. I think they got seven points. I think they get beat on Saturday, like I think they will. Then I think it's game over, isn't it? You know, they've just... It's sort of we've been waiting for them to pick up and all these other teams have had a new manager bounce. West Brom just haven't had it. And, uh, yeah, it's not looking good, is it? On and off the pitch, everything's just gone wrong. A lot of issues there and Pardew desperately needs this one because he needs a stay of execution. But as we understand, if he loses this one, it'll be goodbye. Who can they bring in at this stage, though? Well, it'll be nine games to go and (laughs) who's going to try and keep them up? The thing is, if it's not happening with Alan Pardew now, Mm. they have to make that change. It's true. And I know that people will say, oh, there's no point, but we've seen that if you get the right person in and someone from within who the players respect and want to play for, there's still time to to get points. And it is so tight at the bottom Mm. that... You know, it only takes four games to win that they'll be back in with a chance. But at the minute, as it stands with Alan Pardew, it's just not going to happen for them, and they're going one way. Yeah. So you saw what Leicester did uh, a few years ago. Obviously, the season before they went on to win the title, uh, I think they were they were kind of similarly about seven points adrift at the bottom. And Nigel Pearson That's right. turned around playing uh, playing good football. So yeah, uh, and it's all down to what who the players want to play for. If they're not having a manager, they won't have him. Yeah. They really won't. Uh, absolutely. Right, that will do us uh, for this week on the Mirror Football Podcast. Uh, thank you both of you for, for coming on. Uh, thank you to John Cross as well uh, for giving his insight on Arsenal. Um, if you don't already, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, on Audio Boom, on Spotify. Uh, and if you want to keep up to date with all the latest Mirror Football news, you can do so on all of our social media channels and at mirror.co.uk. Uh, but until next week, uh, where we'll be looking ahead to the well, clash between Manchester United and Liverpool. Uh, which will certainly be intriguing. Um, Enjoy the weekend's action, and uh, we'll see you there. This is Acast Recommends. Every week, we pick one of our favourite shows... And this is one we think you're going to love. Hello, I'm Jeff Lloyd, and I recently had a baby with Ed Miliband. A baby podcast, that is. It's a spin-off of our show, Reasons to be Cheerful. It's called Cheerful Book Club, and it's conversations with some of the best writers working in the world today. You'll really enjoy our chats with people like US broadcasting legend Rachel Maddow, literary giant Ian McEwan, and the big short and moneyball author Michael Lewis. Feed your brain with ideas from the Cheerful Book Club. You'll find us on the excellent Acast app or wherever else you get your podcasts. Acast is home to the biggest podcasts from Ireland and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via Acast or wherever you get your podcasts.